0: Welcome to The Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 287. Today's topic is people or plutocrats. I want you to email info at theclimatereport.net if you have any comments, questions, or suggested topics, or if you would like for me to speak to your group via Zoom or otherwise. So we're going to be talking about people or plutocrats in just a minute but first what is the climate report all about? So the climate report is all about how to solve the problem of climate change if we had the levers of power and how to get those levers of power. So one of the most important things I've learned about climate change is that it's not all about climate. It's not all about carbon. There are elements in our society that want us to narrowly focus on carbon. It's all about the carbon footprint or it's all about emissions, emissions coming out of the tailpipe. But carbon is not nature and emissions are not an entire uh, emissions are not the entire story. If we focus narrowly on carbon, we will miss the bigger picture of nature. We live on this planet that is the only planet we know of that has the life support systems that we need. I like saying that nature is complex, but what we need to do about nature and with nature are fairly simple. We need to not destroy our very life support systems. But if I were an evil genius wanting to do in the human race and most life on Earth, I would get people to narrowly focus on carbon, and then I would have Wall Street come up with lots and lots of solutions about stuff they can sell us to supposedly deal with the problem that we have with carbon. The problem with that is that when a business wants to sell you something they don't care about nature and they don't care about the future. They just care about making a profit. I submit to you that Wall Street is not going to save us and Wall Street doesn't know a darn thing about nature or how to be kind to nature, and Wall Street doesn't know the first thing about how to preserve, protect, nurture, and cultivate the life support systems that we depend on. And yet, and yet, most environmentalists have been fooled by a Wall Street version of what we should do with carbon. Most environmentalists have been fooled by how we should go about the job of decarbonization. They've been fooled by a Wall Street version of how we should go about the job of decarbonization. Wall Street can sell you solar panels and they can get lots and lots of government subsidies in the process. That's Elon Musk, I mean, you know, yeah, Elon Musk is into batteries, which is part of solar panels. They can sell you electric cars and Elon Musk has become a billionaire. Uh, partly by selling a, a something that's quote-unquote profitable, and partly by getting lots and lots of government subsidies and using technology that was developed at government expense, but he's going to uh, patent it and make a profit off of that which was developed at public expense. These people are not to be trusted, and Bill Gates is in on the action, especially through his agricultural work as if he knows the first thing about agriculture. Bloomberg is in on the action. But they don't care about the future, they care about making a profit. There's a big difference between making a profit and planning for the future. And yet, most environmentalists have been fooled by these charlatans. But don't be fooled by charlatans who want to sell you some prepackaged version of decarbonization or some prepackaged version of sustainability because rarely can they see the big picture. So let's talk now about people versus plutocrats. When it comes to solving the problem of climate change, there are people who want to bend public policy to make plutocrats happy. And then there are people who want to bend public policy to make people happy. Those are two different things. We can serve the needs and interests of plutocrats, or we can serve the needs and interests of people. We probably won't be able to do both. And if we do what's good for plutocrats, we will probably be doing everything possible to ramp up to a system which makes people suffer even more than people suffer now. So let's look at Biden's climate plan and let's ask ourselves, is this a plan that serves people or plutocrats? Just quick definition, plutocrats means very, very rich people. We're talking about the, a tenth of 1%, a very tiny fraction of people. You know, we have the golden rule. A plutocracy is who is the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. If you bring the money to a business, then you get to make the rules and call the shots. If you have most of the money in a society, then you get to then you get to make the rules and call the shots. The thing is plutocracy is just the opposite of democracy. Democracy is where the people rule. Democracy is one person one vote, but plutocracy is one dollar one vote so whoever has more money gets to make the rules. If you have a million times more money than somebody else, then you have millions of, a million times more power if you're in a plutocracy. So will our climate plan serve the people or the plutocracy? So Biden, Biden's climate plan reads as follows. We will enact a national strategy to develop a low carbon manufacturing sector in every state accelerating cutting-edge technologies and ensuring businesses and workers have access to new technologies and skills, with a major focus on helping small and large manufacturers upgrade their capabilities to have both competitive and low-carbon futures. So we're talking about people or plutocracy. One of the things that has really served the plutocracy very, very well is technology. Not that technology is bad, but it's how technology is used, how it's developed, who develops it, who owns the rights to use it, and who gets to control it. So the te- most of the technology that we have was developed at public expense. Most of the technology that we have was developed by the defense department. In other words, what you have to do is you have to scare the heck out of people, make them uh, convince them that that if uh, that the Russians are coming, or the terrorists are coming, or the narco traffickers are coming. And another thing that has happened is that. On a cultural level, we have been convinced that we should be worshiping technology, that technology has saved us, and you know, I have a laptop and an iPhone and I like my technology as much as anybody does. But if you want to know whether something is good or not, you need to look at three things. You need to look at the costs, the benefits, and the alternatives. If we just look at the benefits of technology, but we don't see the costs, and if we just look at the benefits of technology, but we don't see the alternatives, then we are really missing the bigger picture. So Biden's climate plan says we're going to develop a low carbon manufacturing sector to accelerate cutting edge technologies and ensure business and workers have access to new technologies and skills. Okay, how does that work? It sounds good unless you can see the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that, you know, when we develop technologies at public expense, then those technologies and the patents that go with the technologies are handed over to business people to profit from. And the people, you know, citizens don't have any control over these technologies. Workers don't have any control over these technologies. The citizens and the workers who paid to have the technologies developed don't get a fair share of the profits and they don't get a fair share of the control. So developing a good pl- climate plan is not just about coming up with nice sounding words. It's about you and me being able to see through this stuff because we are aware of the not just the benefits of the proposal but the costs and the alternatives. And one of the costs associated with uh, with, with electronics technology is the what is the mining and the waste. You, know, you need to look at the whole life cycle of the technology. The life cycle of most of our electronics involves slave labor. The life cycle of most of our technology involves coltan and uh, being harvested, being dug up out of the ground in People's Republic of Congo with child slave labor and then sold to a Chinese company, which then assembles our iPhones and, and, our, you know, and our laptops, etc. So let me ask you, you know, the plutocrats that orchestrate this whole system, the plutocrats that are okay with uh, employing slave labor in Africa and semi-slave labor in China, if they're okay with making slaves out of people in Africa and China, do you not think that they're also okay with making a slave out of you if they could? For one thing, the slave labor in other countries competes with American workers, and American workers are expected to compete with slave labor in Africa, and slave labor in China, and slave labor in Latin America. How could we change this? Well, we can do this by changing our trade agreements. And we could also do this by empowering localities with what I call local sovereignty. So, when it comes to trade agreements, here's what we need to do we need to say the United States does not trade with any country unless they have collective bargaining. They have a good minimum wage that's appropriate to that country. They have good environmental regulations. They have good safety standards. If your country, see this this is what would have occurred if labor and the environment had had a seat at the table when NAFTA was negotiated. And now Biden wants to do the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is like NAFTA on steroids and it doesn't have any protections for the environment, it doesn't have any protections for water quality or air quality, it doesn't have any protections for human health, it doesn't say, hey, we'll trade with you but only if your people have a minimum wage. We'll trade with you but only if your people have a meaningful right to collective bargaining. We'll trade with you, but only if your people have a minimum right to health care. Oh wait, it's only Americans that don't have health care. So forget that one. So we need to be informed about what these trade agreements are really about. Trade agreements have little or nothing to do with tariffs or taxes. They have everything to do with making capital very mobile so that workers have to compete with, so it's a race to the bottom. American workers have to compete with slave labor. As much as anything, that's what NAFTA is all about. It's a race to the bottom in terms of wages. It's a race to the bottom in terms of environmental protections. It's a race to the bottom in terms of collective bargaining. It's a race to the bottom in terms of safety standards. So Mr. Biden, as in Biden's climate plan, you can talk about technology all you want to talk about technology, but we won't be fooled because we know what technology is really about. We know we're not just focused on the benefits of technology. We know the cost of technology, and we know the alternatives. What you're doing here is concentrating power and money into the hands of a very few. You're letting technology be controlled by private companies who are going to profit from it, even though they paid little or nothing to develop the technology, mainly taxpayers pay to develop technologies. Now, let's read on in Biden's climate plan. He talks about we're going to use strategies to connect universities, uh, research universities, community colleges, incubators and accelerators, manufacturing institutes, and employers, unions, and local state and local governments, and provide them with significant funding for development of a place-based plan to help their state or region build a competitive and low-carbon future in manufacturing that reflects climate impacts in their local communities. So all this sounds nice except it really doesn't because, you know, for one thing, is this reasonably specific? What we're hearing here is this simple or understandable or effective Could you explain this to a 10-year-old if you tried really hard? And if you can't explain it to a 10-year-old, even if you try hard, then you're just leading us down a garden path. It's lots of talk, it's stuff that makes the sunrise movement happy, but they're not really seeing things very clearly. Hey, I know, instead of throwing money at businesses and universities and incubators and accelerators, why don't we give the money to people in the form of universal basic income? Why don't we empower workers with collective bargaining rights? Why don't we release all of the patents that were developed at public expense? Why don't we give people free public college so they can provide a future for themselves without being strapped with tens of thousands in student debt. Because here's what happens, at all levels of income, people are dependent upon the worst companies in the world. How did we get the idea that capital and capital alone is capable of creating jobs? How did we get the idea that capital and capital alone is capable of providing for people's needs? How did we get the idea that capital and capital alone is supposed to make the most important decisions relating to our economy? What if we don't need to grow the economy, we need to shrink the economy? Because the economy, as measured by GDP or gross domestic product, needs to be smaller, not larger. If the economy were a human being, it would weigh 400 pounds. There's way too much of it. We need to remember that the purpose of an economy is to deliver people what they need. The purpose of an economy is not to empower plutocrats. But that's what we're doing. We're empowering plutocrats by throwing money at them. Biden's climate plan wants to throw money at plutocrats so that they have more and more power. And hopefully some of that will trickle down to the people who actually do the work. Biden's climate plan says industries from textiles, to machine tools, to metal fabrication, to the most advanced manufacturing technologies will be eligible for funding to modernize, compete, create jobs, and move to clean energy futures. So a couple of observations. One is, what is clean energy? Does clean energy mean solar power? Does clean energy mean electric cars? Does clean energy mean windmills? Does clean energy mean burning biomass? Does clean energy mean making biofuels out of corn or uh, sugarcane? Tell me what about those things is clean? How are we defining clean energy? You know what is clean energy? Clean energy comes from the sun, and it grows, you know, the sun shines on trees and vegetables and plants and bushes, and it, it, it helps them grow, and then they grow food. They also grow food for pollinators and birds, butterflies, and bees. That's clean energy. I'm not sure if there is another form of clean energy other than that which nature provides. Solar energy is something that we need to do in moderation, but it is not clean. Wind energy is something we need to do in moderation, but it is not clean. Solar panels and windmills have a big carbon footprint. They have an even bigger ecological footprint. Solar panels and windmills and electric cars require lots and lots and lots of electronics technology. We're not managing our electronics technology, the way we need to as it is. Electronics technology needs to be recycled. The only way we're going to have recycling is if we have something called extended producer responsibility. That means if Apple sells you an iPhone then they are liable for buying that iPhone back from you because the people most likely to be able to reuse or reduce, reuse, and recycle are the ones who sold it to you to begin with. The people most likely to be able to reduce, reuse, and recycle cars are the ones who sold you the car to begin with. The producer of that car needs to have extended responsibility so that they are liable to buy it back from you. The people who manufacture an iPhone need to have extended producer responsibility so that they are liable to buy it back from you. And the same should be true for packaging of products. We should have bottle deposit laws so that the people who make the bottle are liable to buy it back from you. That's extended producer responsibility. That is the only kind of recycling that is going to work. That is the only kind of recycling that's going to be efficacious in the long run is when the producer of that material is liable to buy it back from you. And the reason we don't do that is because we are favoring plutocrats, not people. If we were to favor people, not plutocrats, then nearly everything you buy would be refundable for a deposit when you return it. You you could return it for a deposit. Packaging of bottles, packaging of foods, uh, product, consumer products like phones and cars should all be returnable for a deposit because the person who made it to begin with is the only person likely to be able to use it efficiently. Otherwise, our recycling is just a jumbled mess. It takes a whole lot of carbon and a whole lot of fossil fuels to recycle what we have, because when your recycling goes out, it has a hundred different things in it. Everything coming, and it's not recycled, it's downcycled. We need to disabuse ourselves of the notion notion that what we send for recycling actually gets recycled. Most of it gets downcycled. And when materials are not truly reduced or reused or recycled, then that is just so much energy being wasted. That is so much carbon being wasted, not to mention the ecological footprint quite apart from the carbon. So, continuing to read from Biden's climate plan, we're talking about whether this plan or any plan, any public policy proposal, is good for people or plutocrats. Mainly so far, unfortunately, we're finding that Biden's climate plan is good for plutocrats and virtually irrelevant to the needs of people. But let's read from Biden's climate plan and see what it says. It says, we're going to allocate tax credits and subsidies, think pork barrel, corporate welfare. We're going to allocate tax credits and subsidies that will be available available for businesses to upgrade equipment and processes, invest in expanded or new factories, and deploy low-carbon technologies, as long as all stakeholders are part of the process of determining a bottom-line win for jobs, workers, clean energy, and long-term community investment. So I'm seeing a lot of micromanagement here. I'm seeing a lot, you know, this is, could you explain this to a 10 year old? Could you explain it to a 15 year old? Could you explain it to a 20 year old? If you took enough time to explain it to a 15 or 20 year old, would they be able to explain it back to you or would they just nod and would their eyes glaze over? I'm seeing material here that it's about people's eyes glazing over. Tax credits and subsidies, that's all about pork barrel. I think we have enough pork barrel in our government. I think we have enough government contractors that are feeding at the government trough. It's talking about upgrading equipment and processes as if the government is capable of determining what equipment and, and you know, what a good upgrade looks like. And when you deploy low-carbon technologies, what does the low-carbon technology look like? What if it's a solar panel that took lots and lots of, uh, of carbon to make? Lots and lots of energy. It takes lots and lots of energy to make a solar panel. It takes lots and lots of rare earth metals to make all of this electronic technology that we have. And when you talk about bringing stakeholders to the table uh, uh, as part of a process of determining a bottom-line win for jobs, workers, clean energy, and long-term community investment, I mean this You know, there's nothing about that as specific or simple or understandable. I kind of get the idea, but I wouldn't trust the government together with corporations to work all that out in a way that is a win for jobs and workers. The only way you're going to get a win for jobs and workers is to empower them with collective bargaining rights. So we've been talking about people versus plutocrats. I conclude that the Biden climate plan is mainly for plutocrats, not people. If we want to have a climate plan that is for people, it needs to follow something resembling Hart's principles, you know, Hart's climate principles, which are like, you know, we need to favor people over profits, like giving people universal basic income, Medicare for all, strong collective bargaining rights, We need to eliminate half the economy that generates more pollution than anything. It generates pollution and profits, but it does not generate anything that is beneficial or helpful to people. That's half of our economy. We need to eliminate the half of the economy that does not make a positive difference in people's lives. It's not about carbon, it's about ecological living. It's not about decarbonization. It's about planetary limits. It's about ecosystems. It's about nurturing nature. It's about nurturing and cultivating the systems that we need so that nature might support us and help us thrive and grow as a species. That's all the time we have. If you have any questions, comments, or observations, or if you would like for me to speak to your group via Zoom or otherwise, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 288. Today's topic is people or plutocrats. So the idea is that public policy including Biden's climate plan can either be for the great majority of people or it can be for a narrow slice of people called plutocrats who are the ruling elites who are the ones who really have the money and the power at present. So going forward, is our public policy, including Biden's climate plan, going to be for people or the small number of plutocrats that are in power? I want to invite you to email info at climatereport.net if you have any questions or comments or if you want to suggest a topic or if I can speak to your group via Zoom or otherwise. So we're going to get into Biden's climate plan in just a minute, but first let me expand a bit on what I mean by people or plutocrats. Let's look at Hart's climate principles. There are nine of them, and the first one is government should occupy the commanding heights, but should not micromanage. So it's not the job of government to micromanage our lives or to micromanage business. And if government does occupy the commanding heights, they will either do so in in a way that benefits the vast majority of people, or they will do so in a way that concentrates power and money into the hands of a wealthy, lucky, powerful few. Principle number two of Hart's climate principles says that the government is going to have mandates and spending. You know, mainly the government exercises its power in the form of mandates or spending. Mandates, thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that, or they spend on this or that to employ people and to implement projects. So the mandates and the spending of the government should be for people, not profits and should be for the well-being of our entire planet and not just a few plutocrats. Examples of this, examples of spending that is for people, not profits, is like a universal basic income. That's where you give money, you give money to people just because they breathe air. Because for time immemorial, the plutocrats have extracted money from people in the form of taxes, in the form of labor, in the form of natural resources, usually by destroying natural resources that should be the inheritance of all people and all living things. And plutocrats extract money from people by decimating our democratic institutions. Because if you have power, why would you give it up? If you're a plutocrat, you play some role in opposing democracy and opposing democratic institutions. Hart's climate principle number three, we need to eliminate half the economy that does not make a positive difference in people's lives. And some people might go ah, eliminate half the economy that means a depression. Well that's because we've been falsely taught to associate the economy with the well-being of people. But it's like a Brazilian general once said the the, the economy is doing well, but the people aren't. The economy can be doing well in the way we measure an economy, but the people not be doing well. That's because the economic activity is concentrated into the hands of a very few. Plus, much of our economic activity, it causes pollution. And it destroys natural resources, and, it, and it, you know, if you look at, look at defense, uh, it destroys people's lives. So half the economy, I assert, that half the economy does not make a net positive difference in people's lives, and therefore should be eliminated. We can manage a very healthy economy without being a free market, free for all. Besides, a free market doesn't even exist. Uh, The free market concept is a myth and and an illusion that says the government is just standing back and not interfering when, in fact, the government is always throwing its weight on one side or the other, usually in favor of plutocrats, not people. Item number five in Hart's Climate Principles, it's, about, it's not about emissions, it's about an entire life cycle. So it's, you know, it's not all about carbon, it's about nature. It's not about what emissions come out of a tailpipe of a car or what emissions are produced by air travel or helicopters or boats or farm equipment. It's not just about emissions, it's about the entire life cycle of the product that creates the emissions. So you can talk about emissions all you want, you can talk about decarbonization all you want, it's all uh, smoke and mirrors, unless you're taking into account the entire ecological impact of whatever machine or equipment you're talking about, whatever goods you're talking about, whatever industry you're talking about. We need to talk about the entire ecological impact and not just the emissions that come out of a tailpipe. Principle number six in Hart's climate principles, no new fossil fuel infrastructure. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change gives us 10 years to seriously cut down on our carbon output. We're not going to do that if we're continuing to build more and more and more fossil fuel infrastructure. Fossil fuel infrastructure includes not only oil wells and coal mines, it also includes uh, fracking and it includes, you know, fossil fuel infrastructure is anytime you build a road or a building that's going to require, that's going to support the use of fossil fuels. Every time we widen the highway, that's fossil fuel infrastructure. We've got a whole new bypass planned for Louisville. We're gonna, by my calculations, it's gonna cost at least a billion dollars. Why are we spending all this money on fossil fuel infrastructure? Hart's Climate Principle number seven, we need to lose weight first and then bulk up. Our economy is fat. Our economy is obese. Our economy needs to lose weight first. The thing to do is not to add whole new industries like Biden's climate plan says. We don't need whole new industries. We don't need whole new technologies. We need to stop a lot of what we're doing because a lot of what we're doing, I would argue most of what we're doing, does not serve any legitimate needs of people and if we had a real democracy we wouldn't have you know most of the crap around you would disappear because it does not serve the needs of people and only serves the needs of a few plutocrats for example the automobile industry has been subsidized for 70 years at least the automobile has industry has been subsidized by building highways building highways building highways destroying trains, investing nothing in trains or buses. It serves plutocrats, but it doesn't serve people. In fact, it's a tax on people because if you want to live a normal, right, normal life and get around, you have to pay on average $8,000 per year to own and operate a car. That is a completely illegitimate industry that is uh, completely contrived and concocted by big business and big government. It need not be that way. We need to have mass transit and it needs to be free. We need to stop building highways and start building, uh, you know, putting out buses and train uh, buses and bus stations and ultimately rail lines. Principle number eight in Hart's climate principles is economic growth and GDP are ridiculous concepts and should disappear from the national conversation. GDP is the idea that uh, an economy should be measured by how much money changes hands, with a few exceptions. It's wages, it's net profits, it's the net positive receipts from government entities. It has almost nothing to do With the well-being of people. When we build more interstate highways, when we sell more cars, sell more oil, when we make and sell lots and lots of weapons, that has nothing to do with the well-being of people. But it has everything to do with gross domestic product. When you invest in nature, when you invest in people, when you invest in democratic institutions and communities, that's usually not a big boon for gross domestic product, but it's great for people. We need to invest in people and set aside these ridiculous concepts of gross domestic product and economic uh, growth as if they have anything to do with anything. Principle number nine in Hart's climate principles is that people should have the freedom to do the work that they choose and not be driven by the need to pay the bills. That's why Medicare for All and universal basic income and strong collective bargaining rights should be a cornerstone of any government policy that pretends to be for the well-being of people. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. advocated a universal basic income, what he called a guaranteed annual income, because he said people don't do their best work when they're struggling to survive. If we want people to do really good work, we need to not make them struggle just to survive. Besides, when people are struggling to survive, they usually have to go to work for the worst companies in the world that are causing all the ecological uh, devastation and are employing all of the slave labor and are making weapons and are deforesting the Amazon and deforesting North America. These are the worst companies in the world and yet you have to, you have to earn a living so you have to go to work for the worst companies in the world. People should have the freedom to do the work that they choose and not be driven. Uh, to work for the worst companies in the world, all of which is to say that government policy should be for people, not profits, and it should be for people, not plutocrats. Now, let's look at Biden's climate plan and evaluate it from the lens of does it serve people or does it serve plutocrats? Now here's one way that you know that a plan is designed to serve plutocrats if uh, you know, whole paragraphs are hard to understand. Anything that is really for people, you can explain it to a high school student and the high school student can explain it back to you. If you can't explain it to a high school student in such a way that the high school student can explain it back to you, then it's probably a plan that favors the plutocrats and not people. Here is one such example. So Biden's climate plan says, now see, I just want you to read this, and if if I get through this and you don't understand it, that's what I'm talking about. It's not understandable. It says, where competitive pressures or requirements in response to the climate emergency may threaten a local economy, Biden's national strategy will fund efforts to move to a more competitive or low-carbon manufacturing approach that can preemptively develop new economic strategies, including deployment of federal funding for technologies or manufacturing innovation centers. So when you hear that, it's something that, you know, if you're sitting in polite company, you nod and you smile, and then it's like, I didn't get any of that. Maybe I'm the only one, but I didn't get any of that. So what it's basically talking about is funding for technological, uh, funding for technological innovation, especially for communities that are struggling to respond to the climate emergency. But the devil is in the details and I say that the government should not be in the business of managing all the details because the more confusing government is, the easier it is for plutocrats to come in and exploit the situation for their own economic gain. That's why these proposals should be simple and understandable. If it's not simple and if it's not understandable, then it's a plan that favors plutocrats, not people. The biggest companies and the richest companies are always the the ones that are equipped to exploit government opportunities. The biggest companies and the richest companies are always the ones that are able to to do the paperwork, to take advantage of subsidies, and they're always the most skilled at feeding at the government trough. Wall Street is skilled at feeding at the government trough. Silicon Valley is skilled at feeding at the government trough. The biggest agricultural companies are skilled at feeding at the government trough. That's why most agricultural subsidies go to the richest corporations. So when it's when it's complicated to navigate government policies that favors the big players, we don't need more policies that empower the big players to feed at the government trough. Now, we're at a point in Biden's climate plan where he talks about harnessing great potential so America and our workers lead the 21st century economy. So this is all about, you know, um, by one way of thinking, America could invest in all this new technology and lead China as if America is one big happy family and China is one big happy family. And we're not going to look at class. We're not going to look at who is the working class and who is the ruling class. We're gonna pretend that America is one big happy family and when we invest in technology, it's good for all Americans. But let's see what Joe Biden has to say. It says, Joe Biden knows that our response to this climate emergency also presents an opportunity. More than 3 million people in the United States are already employed in the clean energy economy. What's clean energy? I want to know, what is clean energy? We need some solar panels, but they are not clean energy. If you look at the entire life cycle of the product, it is not clean energy. We need some windmills, but it's not clean energy. If you look at the whole life cycle of the product, it is not clean. And somebody might say, Hart, well, it's cleaner than fossil fuels. I'm saying, yeah, let's get rid of the fossil fuels. That's why, you know, we can get rid of half of our fossil fuel usage by getting rid of half of the economy that does not serve people. The economy that does not serve people includes defense. It includes the manufacture of brand, a new car, brand new automobiles. The economy that does not serve people is, you know, includes 90% of air travel. Let's get rid of 90% of air travel. Certainly let's get rid of 90% of the manufacture of new automobiles. The economy that doesn't serve people includes new construction, new roads, new buildings. That doesn't serve people, it's just that people, white collar workers, blue collar workers, service workers, all of them need to go to work for companies that do this kind of work, so they kind of connect it with their own survival, but it need not be that way. We need to get rid of the notion that says capital is the only one capable of creating new jobs. We need to create socially beneficial jobs and not always be building new cars, new planes, new helicopters, new roads, new oil wells, new fracking sites, new petrochemical plants. None of that stuff is necessary for socially beneficial jobs. That's why I say the government needs to occupy the commanding heights of the economy to give people, um, you know, to give people a universal basic income so that they have a choice, to give people collective bargaining rights so they have the power to bargain with capital, give people Medicare for all so that they don't have to work for the worst companies in the world in order to have health insurance and government needs to be proactively in the business of creating jobs. That's not micromanaging, that's government doing what it does best is to occupy the commanding heights of the economy in order to create socially beneficial jobs. The government creates uh, jobs every day. The uh, government created jobs include teachers, include policemen, include firefighters, Uh, The government even creates jobs in the form of doctors and nurses in so far as Medicare and Medicaid pay for the health care that in turn pays the salaries of doctors and nurses. The government creates jobs in the form of soldiers, $750 billion a year. Much of it goes to pay people who work in the defense industry. So government creates jobs every day. How do we get the idea that only capital is capable of creating jobs? Government can create jobs and by the way some of the most enthusiastic positive people I know are government employees public servants. People who are doing something that they love they feel like they're helping people Government can create jobs. We just need to make sure those jobs are socially beneficial. We need to create jobs for ecological forest rangers. We need to create jobs for organic small farmers. At least provide the training. At least do the land reform so that farmers have the land to grow the crops. We need to give people training in ecological landscaping. We need to empower communities to. Uh, to we need to empower communities with standards that say if you want an ecological yard, you're allowed to do that and your community can't squish you with regulations that say thou shalt mow or thou shalt spray with uh, toxic chemicals. We can create socially beneficial jobs related to the building of a train system or bus drivers. Pay bus drivers a living wage and that is a socially beneficial job. So, reading from the Biden Climate Plan, Joe Biden knows that our response to this climate emergency also presents an opportunity. More than 3 million people in the United States are already employed in the new in the clean energy economy. But that is only the beginning of what is possible if we harness all of our talent and creativity. If executed strategically, our response to climate change can create more than 10 million well-paying jobs in the United States that will grow a stronger, more inclusive middle class enjoyed by communities across the country, not just in cities along the coasts. So, okay, fine, but it's making it look like clean energy is the only socially beneficial job. There are lots of socially beneficial jobs that have nothing to do with clean energy. There are lots of socially beneficial jobs that have nothing to do with solar power or wind power or electric cars. We need to have an economy that is rooted in care. We we could have an economy in which people get paid a living wage to care for children, care for the elderly, care for disabled people. We could create lots of socially beneficial jobs where people get paid a living wage to care for our forests instead of just chewing up our forests for the sake of cattle ranchers, which is a lot of what goes on. We, you know, we, we need to pay people to uh, you know, remove invasive species from our forests. We even need to pay scientists to see if we can deal with you know, we need to pay biologists and ecologists who can help us understand how nature works. I read recently that the average child can identify a thousand corporate logos, but but not ten um, you know native species you know ten you know ten plants or animals native to your area. And it's not like. Uh, Kids these days, it's like ugh, baby boomers. Like what? 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 What have baby boomers been doing for sixty or seventy years? Learning how to uh, participate in the economy that's driven by corporations and commercialism instead of the grand economy, which is nature. We need to spend less time in the corporate economy and more time figuring out how to support the natural life support systems that will support us if we care for them. Biden's Climate Plan says, America has a great opportunity to lead in the industries of the future by strengthening emerging industries in agriculture, clean energy, and advanced manufacturing. This also presents an opportunity for America to create stable, well-paying jobs that drive clean energy here at home and abroad. That's why Joe Biden will make the largest investment in history in American innovation, including research and innovation to unlock and deploy new zero carbon technologies for the future, create well-paying jobs across the US and make zero carbon technologies the most cost-effective and scalable way to meet our country's energy needs. I'm saying a lot of the solutions to our climate woes and a lot of solutions to the things that ail the natural world are much simpler and you don't have to create new technologies or create whole new industries. We need to do things like stop fracking now. Stop deforestation now. Stop, no, stop building new fossil fuel infrastructure now. We can do that if our public policy focuses on the needs of people instead of the whims of plutocrats. When he talks about zero-carbon technologies for the future, well, it's a long road to get to zero-carbon technologies of the future. A lot of this stuff is exceedingly speculative. We need to stop the bleeding now. It's like our natural world is like a patient on the operating table and they're bleeding buckets. We need to stop the bleeding now. We need to stop the bleeding by ending the industries that are causing the bleeding. The defense industry causes the bleeding. The manufacture of new automobiles and new roads is a cause of the bleeding. Subsidizing the worst agricultural companies in the world is a cause of the bleeding. Stop the bleeding now, and then we'll talk. Okay, so let's read another paragraph, and it's going to mention uh, defending workers' right to form unions. That's good as far as it goes, but, you know, is he going to do it? But let's read and see what he has to say. Joe Biden will ensure that clean economy jobs are good jobs. We must ensure jobs created as part of the clean energy revolution offer good wages, benefits, and worker protections. Toward this end, Biden will defend workers' rights to form unions and collectively bargain in these emerging and growing industries. Pursue new partnerships with community colleges, unions, and the private sector to develop programs to train all of America's workforce to tap into the growing clean energy economy incorporate skills training into infrastructure investment planning by engaging state and local communities, and reinvigorate and repurpose AmeriCorps for sustainability so that every American can participate in the clean energy economy. These efforts will be worker-centered and driven in collaboration with the communities they will affect. Okay, what's wrong with that entire paragraph? Here's what's wrong with it. It's about micromanaging, and it's about trickle-down, and all you have to do is give workers the meaningful right to bargain collectively, and they will do the rest. Instead, what we get in Biden's climate plan is paternalistic garbage. That's all we have time for. If you want to give me uh, comments, questions, or feedback, or if I can speak to your group, please email info at climatereport.net.